Hello? Hello? Is anyone there? I... I can't see. Is the ship still moving, or are we on land? I don't know where I am. <laughs> it's funny. I came to sea to find myself, but now... Well, now I'm lost. Do you know where I am? I know... I know you're there. Whoever you are. I can sense someone. Some... Thing. You're not one of my crew. <laughs> They're gone, I think. They left me. Or... Or they were taken. Or they're... My parents never wanted me to be a sailor. I was meant to be a seamstress, working alongside my mother, both of us under the watchful eye of my father. It's what I was trained for ever since I was a little girl. I think I could probably sew before I could even walk. <laughs> I made my sister's wedding dress. I spent over a year making sure it was up to her standards, making sure it was the dress of her dreams. Everyone told me she looked beautiful. She was beautiful. I didn't notice until her wedding day that I hadn't enjoyed making the dress. I spent 15 months of my life putting all my time and effort into a dress that would be worn for one day and then never again. Maybe I should have been happy with the fact that I made my sister smile. That I created something that made her happy. That made her feel beautiful, even if it was just for one day. But... No. I couldn't stop thinking about that dress. Put into storage as soon as she got home after her big day. Hidden away in her wardrobe or her attic or wherever it is she's keeping it. Years passed and the dress stayed hidden away. And so did I. Working out of my family's basement. My sister was no longer there. She moved out when she got married. And I had decided long ago that I would never be a wife. And if that was the only way to escape my father's basement, my only option was to stay there for the rest of my days. 
I'd accepted my fate as the girl in the basement, my parents watching my every move until the day I died. I was sure I'd die with my father staring over my shoulder, screaming at me to work faster. I was sure I'd work myself to death under his burning gaze. I was sure I'd pass and fall face first into the sea of fabric in front of me, a needle and thread still clutched in my lifeless hand. Until, <laughs> there's always an until, until the boat arrived. I've seen boats before, of course I have. It'd be quite an achievement to live in a fishing town my whole life and not see one. <laughs> but this one came to town at exactly the time in my life when I was desperate for an escape. I was at my sister's house when I made the decision. We sat around a small wooden table, my sister, her husband and I. I'm sure the food was lovely, and I'm sure the conversation was decent, but I could not bring myself to pay attention. The waves seemed louder that night, and all I could do was listen. The sea was calling to me. That's the only way I can explain it. Though my sister's house was a good walking distance from the shore, the ripples of the water echoed in my mind as if I was floating on the waves. I was drifting, the ocean carrying me far, far away, far from home. Or perhaps to somewhere new. Somewhere that actually felt like home. The waves curled and twisted around me, my buoyant body bobbing up and down, up and down as I was carried away. The ocean sang to me in a thousand languages I'd never heard before, but somehow... I understood them all. A thousand voices telling me to come home. It was beautiful. I was mesmerized. And then a crash and I was buried by the waves, strong wet arms pulling me underwater. I tried to scream, but burning, salty water filled my lungs, and I choked on the water that had once felt so much like home. My vision went black, and all I could feel was the agony in my lungs and my body being pulled down, down, down to the ocean floor. One final crash, and the pain subsided, and I was sure that I was dead. 
But then I heard my sister say my name. And I blinked my eyes open to see the kitchen. The food on the plate in front of me had been left relatively untouched. But I couldn't bring myself to eat a thing. My throat still burned. And I cautiously eyed the glass of water beside my plate before downing the whole thing, relieved to find it a lot less salty than anticipated. I slammed my glass down on the table, gasping for breath, and my sister narrowed her eyes at me, begging me to tell her what was going on. I apologised and excused myself, glancing between my sister and her husband, muttering something about not feeling very well before rushing into the bathroom to hide. Curled up on the floor of the small blue bathroom, I managed to ground myself. And I realised I missed the sea. I missed its song in my ear and its salt in my mouth. And I knew immediately what I had to do. Fifteen minutes later, I was fleeing my sister's house from her bedroom window, dressed in clothes stolen from her husband, leaving my dress and a pile of messily chopped hair on her bathroom floor. (laughs) The sea was calling me. I had to answer. So I ran. I ran until I could see the ship drawing closer and closer and closer. And I... I don't exactly remember how I got there. There's a blank spot in my memory. But I awoke to find myself aboard the ship, curled up in some sort of storeroom. They found me, of course. It was always going to happen eventually. And to be honest, I didn't plan ahead very much. They were angry at first, but then they brought me before the captain, and he asked me if I had any useful skills. I told him I could sew, and he set me to work patching up their flag. I took the name Jack, another thing I stole from my brother-in-law. It's strange... I was pretending to be a man, but it was the most me I'd felt in a in a very long time. I knew I wasn't a man, and I knew I wasn't Jack, but I was closer to both of those things than I was to the spinster seamstress I'd been before. For a time, it fit, like a, a too-big jacket. It was comfortable enough. I was reborn as Jack, reborn into a new life that felt strange and dreamlike, but so, so right. They taught me to fight and to sail, and by the end of my first year with them, I was doing a bit of everything, helping everyone on the ship out with anything I could. The life of a pirate is dangerous. And not for everyone. Not everyone survives.
We lost so many people. So many friends. Family. I've seen men hanged. I've seen men bleed to death. I've seen men impaled. But all of that is nothing compared to the day Conrad fell overboard. It was a normal day. Or as normal a day as you can get at sea. I'd been sent by the captain to fetch the others. He wanted to talk to us all for some reason. I never did find out why. Hicks was being his usual self when I approached him and Conrad, threatening to throw him overboard, boasting about his strength, despite having just a few weeks ago recovered from scurvy, and being just a little too touchy-feely with Conrad. It was his terrible, awful way of flirting. We all knew it. Except maybe Conrad. <laughs> Wilder was standing off to the side, rolling their eyes at the atrocious display of whatever Conrad and Hicks had going on. Wilder was maybe the only sane person on the ship. The only person everyone was willing to listen to. I always thought they should be captain. Maybe they would have been if they ever got the chance. I told Wilder that the captain wanted to see everyone below deck, and they raised their voice immediately, and the two men stilled and shut up, ready to follow Wilder's every order. Almost. We'd just set off to see the captain when Hicks announced that he'd be right there after he'd thrown Conrad overboard. Typical. He pushed the other man, not with much force. We all knew it was a joke. He'd done this a million times before. That's had Conrad, and he faked wobbling around and falling over, stumbling towards the gunwale. Wilder and I exchanged glances, both of us remarking that it wouldn't be a good idea to keep the captain waiting. Conrad didn't stop stumbling, Hicks didn't stop laughing, and Wilder didn't stop glaring. I don't know when the switch happened. I don't know when he stopped faking, falling overboard, and started actually falling overboard, like there was an invisible string around his neck pulling him backwards in one fluid motion quick as a sailfish. I don't think I realised the joke was over until I heard the crash of his body against the wood of the ship, the crack of his skull and his shin, and a strangled, pained gasp as he was plunged below the infinite depths. We raced to the edge of the ship, peering over, hoping to see Conrad swimming around and laughing at us for falling for his joke. Secretly, I even hoped there'd be a body. I just hoped there'd be something. But there was nothing. Just the everlasting expanse of blue rolling and crashing below us. 
like a cruel, sick love. The sea was a creature, taunting us for daring to set sail upon its ever-changing form. How dare we chase freedom on its back? How dare we try to conquer its waves? How stupid we were to think we wouldn't crash upon the rocks, torn limb from limb by those strong, liquid arms, dragged down, down, down to our watery graves. Something moved in the water, fast, agile, graceful, beautiful, sickening. A loud crash and the loathsome thing latched itself onto the ship, shaking the entire thing with its weight. It scuttled wetly up the side, joints cracking and popping as it crawled. It climbed on board, plopping itself down on the deck with a sloppy squelch sound. The thing raised itself up to its full height. And there was Conrad, standing upright on his fractured femur and seemingly unbothered by the blood dripping from his cracked skull. He took a step forward, one that surely should have hurt him, but he was smiling. He never stopped smiling as he unhinged his jaw and let a sea of water pour out of his mouth. have I been out here? How long ago did my crew leave? How long have I been sat here telling you stories? My crew, they were here. I'm sure they were here. I didn't just dream them up. I know I didn't. I think, I think I didn't. I think you know. I, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to. I, I couldn't. I didn't mean to hurt anyone. And what do you see? Blood. Yes. Bodies. Yes. Everyone is dead. Indeed. 
of my fault. Oh, I wouldn't say that. You're hardly to blame. <laughs> I am the sole survivor. My hands are coated with blood that I am sure is not my own. Do you mean to tell me I did not kill them? I never said that. Then what? Remember. <sighs> the... The water spilled out of Conrad's mouth. Blood came out with it. Too much blood. Hicks ran to his side, kneeling beside him as he vomited more water than his body could hold onto the deck. The others crowded around him, checking if he was okay. I was a coward. I ran. I watched over my shoulder as the rest of the crew became a pile on the floor, kneeling in Conrad's ocean vomit, in his blood and his viscera, as he turned to Hicks and, still smiling, released another torrent of bloody water directly onto the other man's face. I covered my eyes and hurried below deck, stumbling through the ship to the captain's quarters as fast as I could. My fists pounded against the wooden door as I begged Captain Rivers to please, 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 let me in. Let me in. The door swung open and the captain stood there in the doorway, towering over me. He said something, I think, maybe asked me what was going on. I couldn't make out the words. I just stared up at him and let my shaking form fall into his arms. He held me for a moment, slightly confused, and then his arms tightened around me. I felt him lift me off the ground, carrying me to the corner of the room, setting me down on a large cushion and wrapping a blanket around me. Stay here, I heard him say. I'll handle it. He left the door closing behind him with a click. I shivered, pulling the blanket tight around my body. I fell asleep to the muffled sound of damp retching and a deep feeling that I had made a grave mistake by staying I awoke to a drip, 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 and glanced over to the desk and met the teary eyes of Hicks. He was sitting in a chair, soaked through from head to toe, water dripping from his hands and onto the floor. He was staring. had been for God knows how long. But his glassy eyes showed no signs of recognition. I whispered his name, slightly nervously, 
but he just continued to stare at me with those cold, weepy eyes. And then he opened his mouth, cracked lips forming into a flesh-tearing smile, and opened his mouth wide, and he expelled water from his lungs. I screamed and ducked, dodging the aqueous projectile only slightly. I ran towards the door, gripping the comfortingly dry wood until my knuckles turned white. I breathed in and out, desperately trying to calm my breathing. You're not Hicks, I muttered under my breath. The thing that wasn't my crewmate nodded that strange smile still on its face. It opened its mouth again, letting its jaw go slack and hacked up another stream of salt water, sullied with gore. I threw my blanket at the thing and ran, slamming the door behind me. I sped up onto the deck, hoping at least to find the captain, maybe see a passing ship that might come and save us from whatever Conrad and Hicks had become. But all I found were corpses. Conrad and Wilder. Her eyes were glazed over, their flesh almost grey, and they were damp. I didn't need to touch them to know that. They lay in the pool of water that Conrad had thrown up onto the deck. Only the pool seemed to have spread. The only blood was around their lips, dripping down their chins, pooling around their bodies. The two of them must have heaved out a gallon of their blood and guts with the water that forced itself out of their mouths. Their bodies... Their bodies were flat. Their skin, thin as paper. There was a hole in Wilder's stomach and a matching one in Conrad's chest as if something had... as if something had clawed itself out of their corpses letting the water that had replaced their blood flow out of the newly formed orifice, leaving them to rot in their own fluids. I gasped and skirted around the large pool of pink-tinged water, careful not to let it touch me, and climbed up, up, up into the crow's nest. I stayed there, knees hugged tight against my chest and intended to stay there for as long as I could. And then I heard a crash. The thing that wasn't Hicks came crawling out of the captain's quarters. I could hear its bones popping and clicking and I winced at the nauseating sound welching of its steps 
I squeezed my eyes tight shut, hoping that it would pass. It didn't. After what could have been ten seconds or ten hours, the silence was stopped by a bang. A gunshot, squelches, a strange scream interspersed with laughter. I didn't look, I didn't want to. I just wanted it to end. I felt the ladder below me, shake. Someone knew I was here and they were climbing up to join me or kill me. I was about to find out which. The ladder shook. I reached for the pistol at my hip, but it wasn't there. Captain Rivers must have taken it from me when I went to sleep. He always said a man shouldn't go to bed with a gun on his belt, that a man who slept with his gun was a man scared for his life. Rivers wanted to build trust within his crew, and how were we meant to trust each other if we were ready to shoot our fellow shipmates the moment we woke up? The ladder shook again, I grabbed my knife, and he hauled himself into the crow's nest. I saw his boots first, and then the drip, drip, dripping of water onto wood. I looked up and was met with the waterlogged beard of Captain Rivers. His eyes were wild and pale, glazed over, just as Hicks had been. His thick, weather-beaten skin rippled like the ocean itself, as if something had burrowed its way deep into his flesh. He moved like a storm, like the choppy waves below us, like the crash of thunder, like the cold wind chilling me to my bones. And he was smiling. It wasn't his smile. Captain Rivers had a kind smile, a warm smile. It was as if this smile had been ripped off the face of Hicks' sodden corpse and plastered onto Rivers. This was not my captain. This was not the captain who found me in the storeroom and welcomed me into his crew with a warm hug. This was not the captain who didn't like his men sleeping with pistols because he felt it meant they didn't trust him. This was not the captain who discovered my past and simply asked me which words he should use and if it was still okay to call me Jack. My captain was dead. Or maybe he was still alive in there, 
something else dragging his body around like a soggy rag doll. But I doubted it. If there was any trace of him left in there, I couldn't see it. He lumbered towards me, that awful grin on his face, and I knew that any moment the rancid water would come tumbling out of his mouth, infecting me with whatever it was that made him like this. I gripped the knife tight in my fist and dashed towards him, stabbing it hard into the flesh of his stomach. The wound leaked water, and I realised that soon the crow's nest would be flooded with the stuff. I did the first thing I could think of to do, and I put all my weight behind it, and kicked him. My foot landed squarely on his chest, narrowly avoiding the water still leaking from his stab wound. He stumbled backwards, falling from the crow's nest down to the deck of the ship. Except he didn't reach the deck. His foot got caught in the netting of the ladder. Silence. No sound other than the crashing of waves below us. He just hung there, spewing water onto the wood below. I took a moment to catch my breath. Just, just watching him as he hacked up the miserable liquid from his lungs. For a strange few seconds, it almost seemed like he was crying. I sat there watching him swing helplessly from side to side. It would have been mesmerizing, perhaps almost beautiful, if it were not for the vomit, and if it were not wearing the body of my captain. I tore myself out of my trance and forced my body upright, pulling myself to my feet. Still gripping my knife, I scrambled down the ladder and onto the deck, careful not to step in any of the bloody pools of water. The deck was now more gore than wood, more ocean than lumber. Hick's corpse lay a few steps away from me, unrecognisable apart from his sand-coloured hair. He was split open from head to toe, hollowed out and leaking salt water. There was a trail of wet viscera leading from the body to the base of the ladder. The thing wearing my captain's skin hung with its back to me, swinging almost peacefully. I knew this was maybe my only chance. I took my knife and cut the rope and watched the river's course tumble 
onto the deck. Maybe my captain was still alive in there, but even if he was, I had no way of getting him out. I only had one option. It tried to move, but it was tangled in the rope. I scrambled over to the wriggling corpse before it could get up and start attacking me. I stopped it with my boot pressed into its back. Writhed under my boot, but I held it in place and plunged my knife into its back one, two, three times over. The wounds leaped water, but it didn't stop writhing. I kept stabbing and stabbing and stabbing, but it just wouldn't die. I stabbed again, this time pounding my boot into the thing's spine over and over again, hoping to kick the life out of it. When this proved fruitless, I looped the rope around the thing's neck and dragged it behind me, hurling the living corpse overboard, bashing the body against the hull again and again. The skull split. Water spurted out of the cracks, out of the eyes, out of the mouth. Through the fiery tears clouding my view, I could see something writhing under the skin, something slithering from the chest to the arm and up River's neck, forming a rippling protrusion under the paper-white skin. The thing squirmed, crawling up River's cracked skull with a grotesque squelch. The sight made me feel ill. It made me squirm where I was standing. It took all of my self-control not to throw up in my mouth. I stood my ground. Knife still gripped firmly in my fist. And I hauled River's corpse closer to me, just within reach. Without hesitating, I drove the knife into the corpse's face, right into the flesh below the cheekbone where the thing still writhed. I saw it convulse under the skin, jutting out of River's cheek in a jerky motion. I stabbed it again. It lurched. And then it was still. I let myself. Relax. My grip on the knife. Loosen. The muscles in my shoulders. Untensed. I let out a breath I didn't know I'd been holding. I... I was sure it was dead. I mean... How could it not be? And then I heard a deep squelch and River's face imploded, spurting blood and that god-awful water everywhere as it collapsed in on itself. The thing came hurtling towards me, hissing as it rocketed clumsily through the air, spraying ocean water and River's guts as it flew at me. And then... And then... It... And then, 
I... I can't remember. <laughs> I believe this is where I come in. What? I've encountered that creature before. It isn't too fond of your kind. Most of us down here aren't. Myself included. Hmm. It's nothing against you personally, but you humans have never been too kind to our ocean. Oh, <laughs> oh don't look so guilty. I usually don't interfere in situations like this. You should count yourself lucky. The blood on my knife, it's... It's River's blood. Oh, the bleeding drops of red. Where on the deck my captain lies. Fallen cold and dead. I killed him. Yes. You did. That's the sort of thing you remember. Why didn't I know? Why couldn't I remember at first? You were distressed when I first found you. I thought it would be best if I borrowed your memory for a little while. It seems I was right. It benefited us both. You calmed down, and I got a good story. Is that what you do? Steal people's memories? Get them to tell you stories, and, and then what? You kill them? <laughs> well, yes. But I'm still here. Yes. And you saved me. Yes, I did. Why? You and I are alike. No, we are not. You don't think so? Absolutely not. Walk with me. You may come to realize that we are more alike than you think. Um... <laughs> so... So? Do you have a name? I did. I did not much care for it. I have yet to choose a new name for myself. That is perfectly understandable. It can take a long while to find a name that fits. I personally did not settle on a name until I was 2,000 years old. Oh. 
Um, what is your name? <laughs> it is not pronounceable in your language. Is there a human name you would wish to call me? You're asking me to choose for you? Well, I am not familiar with your species' names. Um, okay. Uh, I guess you could be Trevor, if you wanted. Hmm. Trevor... What is the meaning of this name? I'm not too sure, actually. It's Welsh, I think? One of my childhood friends was called Trevor. I see. So to you, this name means that we are friends. Are we friends? Are we not friends? I saved you. I did not kill you. Sparing my life doesn't automatically make us friends. No? No! Where I come from, sparing someone's life is a sign of great respect. Well, where I come from, sparing someone's life is common decency. No, no, that doesn't seem right. This is a strange human joke. My mothers proposed to one another by sparing each other's lives in a fight to the death. <laughs> you are laughing. This indicates that we are friends. Does it? Do you not wish to be my friend? Well, it... It's just that, um... Well... Speak. I will not be offended. It's just that I'm not entirely sure if I'm afraid of you or not. You saved my life, but then you told me you've killed other humans. You told me you dislike humans as a whole, but then you asked me if I consider you a friend? Also, like, we just met, man. I am not a man. I'm not bothered what your gender is. I can't be your friend if I know you could turn around and kill me at any second. I won't be- You've killed humans! You've killed others like me! You told me that and you didn't sound all that regretful. They weren't of this. They weren't what? Go on. And don't tell me they deserved it because I don't believe They you. weren't like you. You don't know anything about me. I know you have a kind heart. I know you ventured out to sea because you felt suffocated by your life on land. I would like to know more about you, if you'll let me. Will you let me, lonely sailor? <laughs> I'm not lonely. You were lonely on land. You came to the sea to find yourself, to find a family, a community. You found that family, but now they are gone. I would argue there is nothing lonelier than losing the family you worked so hard to build for yourself. And what do you know about losing people? 
Come, sit. Look to the ocean, my home, your home. It is beautiful, is it not? It is. Many of your species think so. That does not stop them from destroying it. My kind are not typically violent. Yes, we like to fight with one another, sometimes to the point of fatality. But we would never do that to another species. My kind have multiple lives, you see. We know how much we can take. For us, what you would see as violence is simply a bit of mindless fun. What I have never understood is that humans will inflict this violence and yes, it is violence for humans, unto anyone and anything they see as inferior. Their violence is born of greed and a feeling of superiority. Within my species, if you express an attitude like that, if you partook in actions like that, you would be brought before the Council of Firstborn Children of the Sea and stripped of every single one of your lives including your current one. That's brutal. It's not half as brutal as some of the things I've seen your species do. Trust me. The first time I killed a human, it was in defense of my brother. Some humans had him trapped in a net. Yes, my kind has several lives, and yes, most of us live a very long time because of this. But my brother was reckless, and he was already on his final life. I was on my third, with many more to go, and the idea that I would one day have to live without him had already been weighing on me for a while. The humans were laughing at him, arguing about what he was, if he was dangerous, what he'd taste like, if he was even edible. It made me sick. I had plenty of lives to spare, and he had only one. So I did what any protective older sibling would do. I let out a screech loud and high enough to shred all human eardrums within thirty miles. I untangled my brother from the net and escorted him to safety. And then I went back and bit off all of the humans' heads, just for good measure. As you do. My brother choked to death on some human trash two weeks later. I could not save him. Shit. <sighs> I have told you that I have killed your kind before. 
What I did not tell you is that every time I have taken a life, it has been an act of revenge, of retaliation, of protection. Do you expect me to just swim idly by while my family is killed, while my home is destroyed? Your human race has murdered my friends and family, annihilated my home. Your people have poured their waste and rot and debris into our beautiful blue ocean, turning it foul and gray and near unlivable. How do you think your human friends would feel if we did the same to their precious earth? I don't think I have any human friends. Not anymore. Of course. You are not the same as those I have killed. You chose the sea, and in turn, the sea has chosen you. We are both children of the sea now, friend. I'm sorry, the what of the sea? But that is not the only way in which we are alike. You keep saying that. Because it's true. You felt suffocated on land long before the sea began to call to you, yes? Yes, but... And why did you feel so suffocated? The longer I stayed on land, the more I realised that I did not fit into any of the categories they expected me to. And the ones they didn't expect me to fit into didn't quite fit either. It felt like there wasn't a place for me. And then the sea started calling to me, and I knew where my home was. On the ocean, with my crew, I could be who I wanted to be. I met Wilder, and they told me that it was okay to venture outside of the lines prescribed to us. That it could be freeing. That it could feel more true to myself than anything I'd been doing before. Once or twice, we had the odd new recruit who refused to respect myself or Wilder. Refused to even try. And the captain would grip them by the throat and throw them overboard. <laughs> The bodies will have fed the children of the ocean for days. I expect the sea herself is eternally grateful to your late captain. He's really gone, isn't he? I'm afraid so. <sighs> you know, I too have often felt as though I do not fit into the brackets provided, though my species approaches gender a little differently than yours. We spend our first five lives living as one gender, and then we swap to the other. By the end of our tenth life, we are expected to choose whichever we enjoyed the most, and live like that until our final death. I... Well, I suppose I never chose. Hmm.
You know, for a while back there, before you found me, I actually wished that thing would take me like it took the others. I've spent my whole life feeling like a parasite, playing puppeteer to a body that is foreign to me. I thought passing it over to another parasite wouldn't make much difference. I thought... I thought maybe my body would vomit me out with all the blood and water. I'd come tumbling out of my own mouth, just a soul without a body, floating on the wind. For a moment, that felt like freedom. And then I saw my captain. I saw how unlike himself he was. I saw how that creature drained him of everything that made him, him. I didn't want that to happen to me. I've never felt in control of my body, in control of my life. I didn't want to lose the little I had. I cannot control what my body looks like. I cannot control how others perceive it. But I can control what I do with it. And I do not ever want anything to take that away. When I first tumbled out of my mother's womb, the doctor labelled me a girl because of my body. But they were wrong. I use this body to walk and to speak and to wake up every morning. That is me doing those things, not a woman. My body cannot be a woman's body because I am not a woman. This is my body, and I will nurture it into something I can love. What do I do now? Just sit here forever until I rot? Who says you need to do that? Well, what else can I do? My crew is dead. I could be your crew. What? Dear sailor, the ocean cares not about what body you possess. She sees you not as a gendered being, only as life. She has chosen you, my friend. Are you willing to choose her? You keep saying that. What does that mean? You will nurture her, and in turn she will nurture you. You will rid her of the oil, the filth, and the rot that your kind have cast out into her depths. You will protect all of the ocean children, for they are your friends, your family. You do this, and as a thank you, she will give you a home. She will adapt your body so that you are able to live beneath her waves. And if you ask nicely, she will adapt your body in other ways, if that is something you desire. You will always be safe within her waters, so long as you do your part to keep her safe to live in. 
So, what do you say? Are you ready to become one with the tides? I am. <laughs> then come, my friend. Let's go home. Trendthologies is a Trends Anthology podcast, distributed by the Listless Network and produced by Alex Abrahams and Zoe Davis. The Silence of the Sea was written, directed and edited by Alex Abrahams, with music composed by Scarlett Foster. In today's episode, you heard the voices of H.R. Owen as the sailor and William A. Wellman as the being. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tune in tomorrow for another delightfully trans story. But until then, remember to stay hydrated. But you might want to check the water first. You never know what it'll do to you.